So they start wearing women's undies and then they, you know, uh, start presenting in a more sexualized way and then they start presenting as a woman then they start going into women-only spaces then they start sex offending in women-only spaces then you know they become aggressive in sex in women-only spaces when they can't behave in a sexual way and that escalates into committing sex crimes against women so you know it was a known paraphilia it still is you ask any policeman and he'll tell you the difference between a transsexual and an autogonophile and the fact that we have known about this and accepted it as a dangerous gateway for decades and now all of a sudden we're pretending that there's no risk to women, kids and men or anyone else from these these sex perverts is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Welcome to the New Flesh Podcast, the podcast you deserve. My name is Jonathan Astro and with me is the painfully male, cis, uh, Ricky Allpike, yeah. powerful, yeah. patriarchy, <laughs> I don't know. Just, oh, disgusting. Just <laughs> just, a, just a big, gross guy, really. What do you got to say for yourself, Ricky? Well, in my defence, I do platform a lot of feminists and turfs. So does that does that get me any points at all? I guess it does. You know, you can't you can't fight biology and you know what what's going on down there. But at the same time, like as I've said before, you know, people out there could never know how many feminists and radical feminists as well that you that you engage with that you platform so i guess that you're, you're sort of like the the oscar schindler of <laughs> of of turfs and feminists really yes you, yes this you know. watch this watch could have got me <laughs> one more just one, one more. more one more turf. one more turf <laughs> uh goodness me all right well today we've got a a uh a, 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 a a magnificent uh, turf uh, uh, who runs a podcast called Turf Talk Down Under. Her name is uh, Angie Jones. Aussies represent. Yes. Yeah, represent. Angie Jones is a Melbourne-based gender-critical woman who runs the YouTube channel Turf Talk Down Under with Stasia Frey. Uh, Angie is a fierce advocate for women and is outspoken about self-ID, biological men in women's spaces and the right for females and girls to have sex-separated sports categories. Angie, welcome to The New Flesh. Thank you for having me. So, Angie, just begin by, you know, perhaps giving, telling us uh, some of your journey. You weren't always a podcaster, so how, how did this always, how did this all come about? Um, well, you know, I have sort of a feminist background. I stumbled um, into a broom closet underneath some steps while I was at university in 1989 um, and walked into a room full of women discussing this this concept of like radical feminism and that was at the end of the second wave and they were you know talking about Jermaine Greer and all of these these names that I'd heard but I didn't know anything about you know I thought feminists were these um, angry man haters so meeting this group of women who were talking about how women's bodies are at the root of why they are treated the way that they are was really interesting to me I was also studying sociology at the time, so I was trying to understand as a young, naive country person how bigger forces shaped the lives of individual people. So those two things together, like the, the macro of the sociology and the micro of understanding my role as a, a person born female in a patriarchal world, Kind of went together and I went, hmm, how interesting. This makes a lot of sense to me. And um, I grew up in, you know, an admittedly dysfunctional environment, uh, poor 
lower working class in a housing commission estate in regional Victoria. And I had a difficult childhood because my parents were young and they had a disabled son. My, my younger brother's severely disabled. And so I was always aware of marginalisation and that some people had a worse lot in life because of their um, either a disability, their social position, you know, their sex and other factors. So, you know, I sort of was a bit more aware than most young people, I guess. And it sparked an interest in feminism. Now, at the time, uh, although I had a brief sort of friendship with someone who's now a trans man, I still wanted the picket fence because when I was growing up, to have a loving partner and some children was kind of forced on me and I rebelled against it but only to a point. Subconsciously that still held some appeal. So, you know, I I ended up dropping out of uni because of personal circumstances. I went and I worked um, up in Brisbane and I, um, you know, lived in Melbourne briefly, you know, dropped in and out of uni, took on a bunch of different jobs, mainly around nightclubs and um, promoting, uh, you know, venues, a lot of gay venues. Um, and then I found myself behind the picket fence with a bunch of kids and that's when I really began to understand what feminism was because I'd had this idealised version of what my life would be like and the reality didn't match up. The picket fence felt like a cage. So, you know, I'm living this life. Um, I ended off separating from my child's father. I had four young children, single mother. Three of my kids are on the autism spectrum. And right in the middle of it, my father-in-law decides that he's a woman. That's heavy. Yeah. Well, I've known trans-identifying people my whole life. My mum's partner's boyfriend had a very unusual, very tall-looking girlfriend. So, you know, um, I knew what a trans person was. I had shared a house with trans people in Brisbane. I had met drag queens and new trans identifying people who were homosexual men who were effeminate and uncomfortable about it. Um, some were pre-op, some were post-op. I had, you know, I'd been around trans people my whole life. And I looked at my father-in-law and I go, I know this man. He's not transgender. What the hell's going on here? So the impact of that on my family was catastrophic. Um, when he left my mother-in-law, he had been squirrelling away money behind her back for, um, for gender reassignment surgery. And she'd always known he had a bit of a thing for ladies' undies, but she never expected it to, to develop into full-blown transvestitism. And so it was a shock and they separated. Now, you know, my, uh, my daughter's father was astonished you know, the only dad he'd ever known, it was a stepfather, but it was the only father he figured he'd ever known, suddenly decides he's a woman and he's not a bigot either and he's thinking, no, nah, this is not right. Twelve months after that, Bruce Jenner comes out and I'm like, oh, hello. You know, how can a man live his entire life as a man with all the privilege that that entails suddenly say 
oh, I'm a woman because I've always felt like one in spite of doing absolutely everything every other man does, including father children, including, you know, male sport, male, you know, manual work, all of those things. And yet they, they had the arrogance to call themselves women with no concept of what it is to be a woman. And then the kicker was demand that, we affirm that delusion. Now, people can call themselves whatever. You know, people can say, you know, they're the king of England. And I might um, go along with that if I think it's for their benefit. But I'm not going to actually believe that they're the king of England and treat them as such and give them the privileges that that would entail. But these men expected women to do that. And many of the men who were claiming womanhood, I noticed, had a history of either family violence, of abandoning children, of narcissistic tendencies in their previous life as a male. And then all of a sudden they're a female and they still have these bombastic sort of demands of people. And it didn't sit right. Nobody was talking about it. Everybody was affirming Bruce Jenner and nobody was saying, no, that would be ridiculous. The only people I saw calling it out were the Trumpsters and the, the right-wingers are saying, no, that's a bloke. And I'm thinking, man, I've been a feminist my whole life. I work in women's crisis services and I'm agreeing with these guys. What the hell is going on here? And that's when I noticed the institutional creep. Well, just for a bit of, you've answered probably about eight of my questions, which is very good. So, but presume, presumably you would identify as an old-fashioned, I'm assuming, centre-lefty, probably workers' rights, material changes that benefit the marginalised. Is that a fair characterisation? Yes, it is. My dad was a unionist and I grew up uh, around his ankles around the campfire. Um, he was the regional representative for the TWU and they had nudie pictures on their walls and I remember going in there Very as good. a little kid and not looking up. And, um, yeah, so, you know, like, yeah, we grew up around trade unions, you know, and also because my brother was disabled, like we had a strong sense of social justice, of fairness, awareness of marginalised people because we grew up in a housing commission estate and we, you know, we were in amongst them. We were the marginalised. Um, and we were very aware of, um, you know, particularly growing up in a regional environment, how people like us were pretty much ignored um, and that politics and things were um, focused on the city and the people with uh, the money and people who were on the margins were practically invisible. When, when was the first time you heard the word turf? I was watching television late at night because I had young children. It was 2014, I think, and a feminist from the University of Sydney called Bronwyn Winter was on a debate that was televised, I think it was on the ABC, and she was talking, because Bruce Jenner had recently come out, she was talking about the argument between radical feminists that men are not women and defending that line whereas her opponents were claiming that trans women were women and that she was a bigot and I think that's where I first heard the word turf 
it was also the first time that I heard my views represented by someone on the left who was a feminist. And I thought, my God, I've been out of this for 10 years. I need to find my friends. And I came back into radical feminist circles when this trans stuff really kicked off, you know, mid-2014, 2015. Yeah, and that term, do you... Do you wear that as a badge of honour? Or I, I know to begin with it was it was very much a slur, like calling someone a witch, but it seems to have flipped in a way now because you're seeing people like Posey Parker in the UK who have almost taken that taken that term and turned it into a badge of honour. Do you, do, you, do you see it like, like that? Well, it's, it's a misinformed slur because to be a trans-exclusionally radical feminist, you have to be a radical feminist. And the people they throw that two are not radical feminists like a small handful of us would be you know most radical feminists are are against men self-identifying into women-only spaces that makes us turfs but if they're throwing it at Posey Parker Posey doesn't identify as a feminist um you know at all and yet they're saying that she's a turf and she's certainly not trans exclusionary and neither am I because we both include trans men well, I've got no other way of describing them, but but would you break break down your opponents for us, if I can use that term? Uh, is is it is are the people who uh, you know throw around the word you know turf or the people on the who are the people on the other side? Is it trans rights activists mainly? Well, kind of, but I, most of the heat that I get are from um, their allies. They're from men who, 10, 15 years ago, would have been incels. They would have been right wing. And they would have um, been, you know, saying the same things but from the other side. I get very little interaction from actually actual trans-identified people. The hostile ones are the autogynophiles. And I have found most trans-identified people who have experienced childhood dysphoria and then went through a long process in adulthood to become transsexual they are on my side and I, I've formed relationships with those people where we can talk about this stuff openly, which has been really helpful. And, you know, most of them are against childhood transition. Most of them are against, you know, men who self-identify into female-only spaces, particularly those that rank, maintain their male anatomy. They're against self-ID because it allows anyone into those spaces and that makes it harder for those trans-identified people who have had the full surgery, who have integrated into their lives, who live quietly in a female identity that now can't go places because women like me say, no, all of you get out because we can't tell the good ones from the bad ones anymore. So just to pick up on one word you said in there that some of our audience might not be across, what's an autogynophile? Well, I always say to people, Google it because, um, yeah, I'm done with doing men's emotional labour. But um, I consider an autogynophile a man who is sexually aroused by the image of himself as a woman. So it's different from being so uncomfortable in your own body and having, um, you know, thinking that you would be more comfortable as the opposite sex and actually feeling relief when you take on the characteristics of the opposite sex. That's someone who has dysphoria, gender dysphoria. Um, An autogynophile is a man who's usually watched too much pornography, who identifies with being subordinated, with being um, degraded, with being, uh, you know, used, 
and associates that with femininity. Now, you can usually tell the autogynophiles from the transsexuals because your transsexuals will be down at Woolies in his tracksuit pants and your autogynophile will be down at Woolies uh, dressed uh, like a lady of the night. <laughs> so so <laughs> th there's obvious that we're talking about a a um sexual uh there's there's something arousing about dressing up as a woman well this this was recognized because I, I when i was at uni the second time um i studied criminology and dressing transsexualism and dressing up as a woman um was recognized as both transsexuals and autogynophiles and the autogynophiles were quite often people like buffalo bill who went on and escalated into more violent crimes. It's a known paraphilia that is part of a sexual behaviour, um, you know. Uh, trajectory. Trajectory. That's the word. That is the word. Yeah, so a, a um, sexual behaviour trajectory that, were, that meant that, you know, that behaviour escalates. So they start wearing women's undies and then they, you know, uh, start presenting in a more sexualized way and then they start presenting as a woman then they start going into women only spaces then they start sex offending in women only spaces then you know they become aggressive in sex in women only spaces when they can't behave in a sexual way and that escalates into committing sex crimes against women so you know it was a known paraphilia um it still is you ask any policeman and he'll tell you the difference between a transsexual and an autogynophile and the fact that we have known about this and accepted it as a dangerous gateway for decades and now all of a sudden um, we're pretending that there's no risk to women, kids and men or anyone else from these, these sex perverts is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Well, there seems to be uh, a, a conflation going on here. You know, you've got, you've got these different, I guess, trans camps that that trans activists like to all lump together you know i can see that trans kids are a separate camp to the autogynephalic men and the people with gender dysphoria and then you've got this whole other thing happening with the explosion of teen girls coming out as transgender that seems like a, a, a whole other a, other different bag but is this conflation a tool for kinky men to get into women's spaces do you think of course it is, and that's why they also um, they force team the LGB with the rest of the acronym, because you know nobody wants to be rude to gay people, nobody wants to be rude to lesbians and bisexual people. We don't want to be homophobic, so we'll let all the other end, the furries, the autogynophiles, and the heterosexual queers who just have odd kinks. We'll let them in as well. It's their gateway. It's they're the Trojan horse. Like it's really a Trojan horse conflating themselves with, you know, the LGB, with the kids, with all of these, um, you know, family-friendly um, things and, and and social justice movements that people don't want to be seen to oppose, that's the Trojan horse they use to get in everywhere, including workplaces, women-only services, um, the public sector. Well, just, just while we're on this in this area, now you, you've come from... You remember the 90s, you've hung around at gay clubs and, and a bit of that scene and I'd imagine you would have been to a Mardi Gras perhaps. Uh, or, or, or So so what, what, what is this, just, just a little tangent, have you noticed a, a now, that, now that it's, it's um, what is it, world, world 
World Pride. World now Pride, it's, yes. It's World Pride now, and it's a month. It's it's um Pride Month, so it's 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 getting bigger. But there seems to be this this focus not just on I don't know, like give us more rights, don't fire us just because we're gay or something. It's, it's now we're getting into kinks, you know, old school sexual perversion, like and 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 the rubbing it in people's faces people with dog masks and 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 chaps and all this sort of stuff like and and sort of um it's 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 become a have you noticed this 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 creeping in yeah but i've sort of noticed um porn culture more generally because um you know i'm a woman and i'm a mother and i've noticed a difference in the behavior of particularly men towards women in the time that free unregulated pornography has been available on the internet to boys from the age of about 10. I've really noticed that and I think this pornification of society is happening because of interests in the most powerful companies in the world which are big porn is one of them and nobody talks about it. We all know about big pharmaceutical companies but nobody talks about big porn and it is a very influential lobby group. Well, I, I wanted to, to go back to something uh, you, you, you mentioned earlier, and that is allies. Um, I, I feel as though the invasion of biological men into women's spaces has, in, in part, been enabled by white university-educated liberal women. And I'm fascinated by the mo- motivations of some of these women. I, I guess some of them could be uh, hyper-empathetic or something, this this be kind mantra is, is starting to get a little sinister though. Uh, do you think that female empathy is partly to blame for the lack of pushback to trans encroachment on women's rights by women? No, I think it's, I think it's survival. I think that women defend this because if they know that if they don't, they'll be cast out by men. Now, women traditionally have put up with a lot of uh, dubious behaviour from the men in their lives, because to be, uh, you know, rejected or left behind or excluded by men who are usually the more powerful in the dynamic um, is seen as something to avoid. You know, if you want to get married and have kids one day, for example, you're going to do more. You're going to be more accommodating to male expectations of you. If you want to work in a rainbow-friendly workplace and you have to 100% accept a trans-identified male in your workplace to move through your company, you're going to do it. And women are socially conditioned to say yes to men. And even more so now because, you know, when I was a kid, God, I make myself sound old, but when I was a kid, advertising wasn't like it is now it wasn't everywhere and the subliminal messages that are sent to women you must be sexy you must be fierce you must be compliant are stronger now than they ever have been well let's continue down this track of 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 allies perhaps i'm interested in in um you know uh whether TERFs are, let's start with this first. Do you think that people who, who share your views or, or if we just want to say TERFs or, what, or whatever the equivalent is, do you think that um, uh, you are a minority in the feminist community and how many women do you think agree, straight up agree with you? I think the majority of women do not think that 
rapists belong in male in female prisons male rapists belong in female prisons i believe the majority of people don't actually believe that 15 year old girls are having their breasts removed here in melbourne i think the vast majority of people would fit into the definition of a turf i'd probably say even 95 percent because the list of what is transphobic gets bigger and bigger and bigger every day. And nearly every person I've spoken to, including some militant trans activists who have a public profile, agree with me on some of those things. Well, just just continuing on on one of our, uh, you know, on this question of, of, of these allies, I've heard them described, uh, you know, and I thought your answer was, was very interesting about what the, the sort of, the uh, why women might go along with this holus bolus i've heard them described uh as handmaidens you know in some uh some respect now do you think these some of these women coming at it from a different angle are unable to grasp what is going on in part because of the belief that men and women are essentially the same because when yes. we spoke with Helen and Helen Joyce, she said that it's possible for a young woman in an urban setting with a laptop class job to not see the differences between men and women until their late thirties. What, what do you What do you think? I totally agree with Helen. Um, like I said earlier, I had this idea in my head of what my how my life project would you know trajectory would go, and reality didn't match it. And you often find that women reject feminism and they reject like. Um, you know, even close for, forming close friendships with other women until their kids have grown up and they're or they've been through a bad divorce, or you know they're sort of they're no they're no longer considered stereotypically attractive. They've aged out or whatever, and women are sort of cast aside later in life, and that's when they realise the value of their female friendships. They realise the value of sticking with other women because. Your, the men in your life will not stick by you like a woman would. Maybe your partner might, maybe your dad might, maybe your son might. But generally, as you go through your life, your male friends all disappear and your female friends become more important because you have the shared experiences of having children, of going through an ugly divorce or whatever, of having, um, you know, multiple, cause especially with your careers changing so so quickly now and with um, women's roles still being uh, lower paid and making it harder to make ends meet and things like that. You know, we have these shared experiences that get so much more obvious as you get older because your life's trajectories go in different ways because men stay in the workforce and women either reduce their hours or they leave and come back. And, you know, and the, and you know, having children or not having children your life is still going to be different than it would be for a man. It just is because you're female. And so I think that women really realise how hard done by they have by a society they are once they're in their late 30s and 40s, once they say left, you know, to go and look after their children, they try and get back into the workforce and they're position doesn't exist anymore and their role has been taken by a 22-year-old that's earning half as much as they would have had initially and, you know, nobody's promoting you at work because you're not the prettiest girl anymore and all of these other things that when you are young you take for granted and you think all the opportunities will always be out there for you and you won't fall for these traps. You hear these old bags um, going on about these traps that await women down the line. You know, you're, you're going to um, be in a relationship that's going to last forever. You're never going to separate from your 
kids' parents, you know. You tell yourself all these lies and then you get to this other end of your life and it doesn't meet your expectations. And you realise that society through, you know, movies and literature and even, you know, what you're taught in school and just the general stereotypes between men and women that we all grow up with that seep into our brains, you realise that you've been had and that your sex does determine the way your life pans out. And what do you think of, and this sort of came out of Helen's discussion as well, and I think it, it, it comes out of what you're saying from a different way, a little bit more controversial, but what do you think of this idea of, of perhaps a young woman in that setting that we just talked about not um, not ever having, uh, well, not understanding the differences if they've never been hit by a man, if they've never been tackled by a man on a sporting field, like really full pelt tackled by a man, or or if they've ever had a child and had to go through, which my wife let me know in great detail was was not a good experience. She still says to this day, I wish you'd had the, the baby. Um, and, or, um, you know, or just considering that, that, that simple thing of, of the, of the upper body strength of, of a man, even before we get into, you know, whether you, uh, uh, look into whether our brains are different, wired differently or whatever. What do, what do you think of those, those things? Yeah, I think the fundamental differences between men and women are undeniable. And, um, you know, we, we're conditioned to believe that they are not, no longer important anymore. Mm. Well, the, 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 another aspect would be if you grew up in a in a working class household, if you if you saw men around you doing the kind of labour, back breaking labour that uh, that you 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 wouldn't be able to do as as a woman. I mean, that's that's another thing. When I was twelve years old, I had to give up playing AFL football um, because I was female, and the boys were rough. But I knew then that they were stronger than me, and I could get hurt. I accepted it. Mm. Well, if we uh, if we look at local matters now, because you're you're a Victorian, uh, so am I, and I believe in Victoria, self ID laws passed fairly silently under the radar, and these were brought in by the current Andrews government. And for our international listeners, this is the government that's responsible for the longest COVID lockdowns in the world. Um, how is it that self ID legislation was passed with no debate? Well. We noticed recently it was it's being debated in Queensland at the moment, but once again, uh, not many people know about it, and that's what Andrews did. There was debate, but it was um, stifled, it was token, and all of the feedback that they uh, listened to was from trans orgs. It was predetermined before self-ID was passed that it was going to be passed there was nothing that anyone could do about it now we have not seen the impact of self-id because we have experienced the longest lockdowns so it took two and a half years for the full impact of sex self-id to be be felt to us women in women only services spaces and roles and we're really starting to see it now we're not we're no longer talking about a small minority of men we are talking about an ever increasing amount of men self-identifying as women for a bunch of very dubious reasons and no gatekeeping whatsoever and anyone who dares suggest that there should be any gatekeeping is cancelled. Uh, where are the other uh, where are the other Australian states at with self ID laws? You mentioned Queensland there. 
Um, I think Western Australia has self-ID. Um, the election's coming up in New South Wales and uh, if Labor gets in, they have suggested that they will introduce self-ID. Um, I think it's in most Australian states now, Tasmania for sure. So do, do you know much about the anti-trans conversion therapy legislation in Victoria? No, I don't. All Because I sort of seem to be the person that people uh, come to with feedback on how these things are uh, impacting on them. So I hear from a lot of psychologists. I also speak to people in my daily life, like say GPs or say some of my children's um, specialists, medical specialists, and I ask them questions. I say, oh, so, you know, this, this bill, how do you think this impacts on you? For example, I asked my GP what she would do if a young person came in with their mum, say a young teenager, 13 or so, came in with their mum and said, um, I think I'm, the, oh, I'm transgender. In the past, she would recommend that child to counselling, but since this um, conversion bill has come in, her employer and the I think the Medical Association has recommended that she send the child to a gender clinic, that they don't try and offer a diagnosis, that they don't try and offer counselling, that they don't try and, you know, say, well, mate, you know, are there any other comorbid issues, that they go straight to a gender clinic because they're the specialists. But what most people don't realise is the specialists only have the affirmation-only model. So they're not going there to get their um, condition looked at holistically or to investigate any other outcomes that that child will go to this clinic said and say, I think I am trans, and they will be 100% affirmed and potentially sent quickly on a medical pathway. While we're in this in this suburb, I'll ask you a, a similar question to one we, uh, we put to Catherine Deves a little while ago. Uh, she's got kids, you've got kids, we've all got kids. So what what would you do if you uh, if if sort of gender contagion or trans uh, um, contagion swept across your school or your or one of your kids' friendship groups and they started coming home saying, you know all the all the all that stuff. Uh, what 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 would your um, uh, recommendations be? Or what would you do? I would introduce them to a transgender person because that's what saved my kids from going down that that path. My kids have always known trans identified people, including my father in law, and they know that some people are mentally ill. In my opinion, sorry, it's true that some people have a, a mental health condition uh, like body dysphoria where the only thing to relieve it is to change, you know, to take the, the attributes of the opposite sex, the only thing that makes them feel better. And they realise that it is a not, um, it's, it's, a, it's a sickness. Um, it's not, I don't mean that judgmentally, but that they, they realise that, you know, some people may have depression, some people have this, this sickness where they think that they're the opposite sex. And my children understand that because they've met trans-identified people and they know by looking at them and interacting with them that they are not the opposite sex. Is this also you've, a way of giving them the reality of what we're talking about here uh, as opposed to this glitter bomb 
sort of yet yeah, pornified or, or ideal like that guy uh on oh, that <laughs> that person online dylan mulvaney yes. you know dylan mulvaney this this, this. Yeah, my kids have seen him well, so the, I think it, it, Dylan Mulvaney presumably is presenting a very different view of the trans experience than I'm sure like someone you would have introduced your kids to, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, you know, the kids can see through it still, but I think the reason that my children also see through this and also my eldest daughter who's in her 20s, um, her best friend is, uh, what is it, pansexual um trans whatever right and you know this kid's been like this for years and she knows i'm a turf bigot and i love her to death and we just accept our differences now my kids i may look gender conforming but my interests are very non-conforming i live on acreage and i have a little hobby farm and i'm a woman on my own um i am a vegan who's into Formula One motorsport, and I don't mean that I just like cars. I'm actually really heavily into it. Um, you know, I've always been a bit of a gender non-conforming woman myself. So my children have been grown up without rigid gender stereotypes, knowing that they're male and female, but without the restrictions that people place on children, saying, oh, no, you can't do that because you're a boy. Now, my poor son is one of four children and the other three are girls. He grew up having to wear the pink jumpsuit. And I remember one day I gave him a pink plate and he had the biggest tantrum ever. And I said, mate, that is only a colour. It doesn't mean it's for girls and he's screaming, it's for girls. So he got that pink plate every time he got his toast for the next six months. And now the same kid will reach for a um, pink shirt and he still pays footy with his friends. You know, we've never bought into this pink is for girls, blue is for boys, girls, you know, can't play football, you know, boys can't play with dolls. We have never bought into that rubbish. I, I feel like we we brought that that view in, was, was there for about five seconds where we went, it's okay to have pink if you're a boy, it's okay to play with trucks, blah, blah, blah. But now if, if you're a boy and you like pink, that's it. You must be a, a girl trapped in a boy's body. If, if you're a girl and you like playing AFL or Formula One, maybe maybe you're a trans man, you know, like like it was there for about five seconds and then it's flipped again. How how did that happen? Well, I think, you know, I think in my age group because we're all tomboys and I think a lot of us probably did have what would now pass for gender dysphoria. It's like, you know, I can't be a girl because I'm, I'm out, you know, I'm a BMX with all the boys, you know, going down into the... Um, you know, the storm tunnels underneath the town, you know, doing all those those traditional boys' things. So we all had this sort of crisis once we turned 12 or 13 and started developing and the boys started to treat us differently and we go, oh, hang on, no, I'm one of you. And they go, no, you're not, go away. And that was really, really, really hard time to be rejected from your peers for something that you have absolutely no control over. And for a girl like me who wasn't into um, women, girl stuff at all, it was a lonely time and an awkward time. And then comes with that, the, the sexual objectification that comes with your developing body. And it was a frightening time. It was terrifying because I was one of the boys. But no, I wasn't. And I became acutely aware of that. Now, I think I, myself, and many other women I spoke to from my generation had the potential to be ticked off as trans if we'd been born now. We would have been down the trans train, we would have had our boobs chopped off, whatever, and, you know, denied the lives that we have had and our children and our, you know, all the other stuff. So, Yeah, well, I think Abigail Schreier talks about it. it's, it's a way for 
uh, for teen girls to, in a way, in a way escape that bio, uh, biological reality that sort of hits them uh, in high school, you know, and 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 if they are. Feel, if they do feel awkward with the staring and the or or you know the changes in the body that you know it sort of pushes them to uh, to, to 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 a trans man sort of uh, identity, I guess. And look at mainstream pornography. Imagine being a thirteen-year-old girl and having you know porn sent to your phone. It'd be absolutely terrifying. It's violent. Women are demeaned in it, and they think that's what sex is. Now, if that was me at that age, I would want to opt out of being treated like that too. Yes, Helen talked about that. She said that, uh, you know, I guess it's one of the drivers that that a girl would look, uh, could could easily look at that and say, "I'm out. I don't if that if that's what uh, comes with the deal. I don't want. I don't want that. I'd rather uh, opt out of womanhood entirely." Yep, that's what I think too. Keeping it in the political realm for a few more questions: Are there currently biological men in women's prisons in Australia? Yes, they are. There are in Victoria particularly. Um, and we have requested information on how many, but because those men are recorded as female, even if they do not have their birth certificate changed, but because they've been placed in a woman's jail, they're recorded as women, we can't get statistics on it. Hmm, but why don't people care about uh, prisoners? Uh, they have a perception that um, female criminals are like male criminals and that they're all in jail for violent crimes or for, you know, being drug dealers or whatever. And while there are a minority of prisoners, that female prisoners who do commit serious crimes, the vast majority of women in jail are there for things like fines. And, you know, the the crimes that men commit are on far more serious than those committed by females. And so the perception is that all criminals are bad, that they're in jail because they're bad. You know, someone may have, um, you know, been an absolute moron and drank, drank too much and drove a car and killed someone in an accident, right? And there'd be people that say they deserve to rot in jail. But do they deserve to rot in jail with a male rapist in their cell? Do they? For one night of absolute horrific stupidity. Are there any avenues for female inmates to uh, talk about uh, talk about this situation outside of prison? Are there, say, petitions or or anything of that of in that sort of realm that is trying to shed light on this at all? Yes, there's a petition going around. Um, from Women's Forum Australia, they have a petition to try and get men out of female prisons. Um, we held a protest at Parliament House in Victoria uh, to raise awareness that men are in female jails. Um, and there are activists working to, you know, raise awareness and to speak on behalf of these women who can't speak for themselves. What we're finding is that the information comes out along you know say if a woman is assaulted by a trans identified male in prison the information doesn't reach us for three or four months usually because it takes someone leaving prison and not risking being retained in there for making a complaint takes them leaving prison and them telling us then therefore it's old news by the time the media hears about it although that's just their excuse because we know they don't report on it because they really don't want to you know, deal with people complaining that they may portray a trans-identified chosen person in the wrong light. Mm. And is there any uh, ramifications for 
for inmates that that come out and, and, against biological men in in prisons? Does it extend their their sentence, or does it affect their parole or anything like that? Apparently so. Um, I don't I don't know for sure, but yeah, apparently so. That even you know any sort of complaint about your conditions in there can have you sort of marked as a complainant, and therefore make. Uh, your daily experience and also your access to privileges or, you know, uh, to being heard for parole or something like that, they make those things more difficult. So you're not going to risk getting out, you know, getting delaying getting out to see your children by making a complaint. You're going to wait till you're out and by then it's almost too late. But we're in such a fascinating uh, period with what's gone on in Scotland with uh, Nicholas Sturgeon and the UK government going through this uh, issue with this male, this male rapist who who rather quickly changed his his uh, I don't know what he identified as, and then was getting, uh, you know, was was held in the in the, the female prison, and then you know we saw these debates between the two parties uh, and the UK government between uh, w- you know what to do, and this is just so fascinating because what what we we what, it was like watching the the uh, arguments unravel in real time like the thread all come come apart that the how all the all the house of cards come down because watching nicola sturgeon have to say you know that um this this was a not a essentially i think what you're saying is this wasn't a a woman this was a rapist a third category of of thing like you know are you man woman or rapist is what i should say from now on but uh so well i mean what do you make of this sort of topsy-turvy uh, moment we're in well the reason that we are no platformed here and that the media and politicians will not talk about this issue is because as soon as they do their house of cards will come crumbling down now tumbling down. Um, Now that is why we are no platformed. These conversations should be held in public. Women should be consulted. You know, we should know that there are men in women's prisons. But, you know, this is it. It's not just about rapists in women's prisons. It's about men in community changing rooms, community pool changing room. It's about men at um, weight loss groups for women. It's about men at breastfeeding groups. It's about men in period or menopause groups on social media. It's not just about the worst men. It's that any man can just say, I'm a woman, even from behind an avatar, and, and nobody can ask him to leave anymore. A lot of that, a lot of that sounds like cosplay to me, you know. It's like men trying to get into breastfeeding workshops and menopause. I mean, that just sounds ridiculous to me. Um, That's the autogynophile, though. Um, He's seeking external validation for himself as a woman. So there's nothing more validating than being allowed into those forbidden places, like those places where no men are welcome, where we talk about our periods or our childbirth and things like that. Now, most men wouldn't want to be in those places, but these men have eroticised womanhood so much that it's the ultimate validation for them and they Mm. seek them out. I've been in a I've been in a crisis service where a woman has talked about being raped and she didn't realize there was a man in the room because it was advertised as a female only service and I was looking at her in the moment that 
she realised there was a man in the room because he was behind her and she he spoke. And I will never forget the look of horror on that woman's face. I will never forget it. And this is one of the reasons that I got my old Twitter account that had 49 followers back in, I think it was the late 2018, and I said, I'm not going to stop talking about this. And it was because of her. In the UK, they have an organisation called Stonewall, which was originally all about gay and lesbian rights, but have pivoted in recent years to trans activism. This this organisation offers programs and, and training sessions to organisations and institutions about trans inclusive, uh, inclusivity. Um, you can even earn points in some sort of a scheme by showing how, how right on you are with, with all the trans ideology. Now, there's an organisation in Australia called ACON, which was previously previously known as the AIDS Council of New South Wales. Um, are they Australia's version of Stonewall? Can you can you tell us a bit about this organisation? Yes, they are Australia's version of Stonewall. Um, they go into uh, all of, all, you know, major corporations, the public service, and they train people um, on how to be inclusive. But a lot, if you look at the literature... A lot of the things that they are saying, like you don't need female toilets if you have women in your female workplace, that all toilets should be inclusive, a.k.a. unisex, is not true. So they're misinforming workplaces in practices that erase women's rights and nobody is in a position to challenge them because the unions have been captured the workplaces have adopted these rules because it's a, also a financially beneficial thing to do. So instead of having three men's toilets and three women's toilets, now you just have two unisex toilets. So it's like a, a form of economic rationalism and it's marketed to these businesses as be inclusive and save money, um, you know, and have a happier workplace. And um, But they're misinforming these workplaces, and then they're misinforming important uh, people like the government and the mainstream media. Now, these agencies know that what they're doing is erasing the rights of women and same-sex attracted people. They know that children are being harmed by these things, but they do it because of these economic benefits. And what they all say, why they also embrace this ACON stuff, why it's so well supported and so well funded is because while everyone's focusing on diversity and inclusion and being nice to people with diverse genders, which is the fashion now is to have a diverse gender, um, while everybody's focusing on that, they're not noticing that the price of dry cat food has gone up. It's, it's tripled in the last six months. They're not noticing the fact that a, a six-pack of Pink Lady apples costs $8.50 when four years ago it cost $3. So they're not, you know, they're, they're distracted from all the, the um, you know, important things. The fact that the health care system and particularly the mental health care system has completely collapsed. They're not looking at that. They're looking at the pride events. 
and the new Pride Centre. And they're looking at the wonderful feel-good stories that the ABC does on, you know, the man who who had always felt like a woman in spite of having six kids to three different women and, you know, being in the army. Um, you know, it's it's a distraction and that's why they embrace it. Do you think uh, this this is a topic we've come back, uh, come at uh, in, in other podcasts, do you think this is a kind of a woke capitalism in, in, in a way of distracting people away from you know, workers' rights, material changes, yeah, price uh, shifts, things that that we should actually be focusing on. Instead, this is a cheap and effective way for these big corporations, these big uh, companies to sort of woke wash uh, those problems away. Yeah, and I also think it's, um, it's a way for uh, so-called socialists to become capitalists and to pretend that they're not. I think, um, you know, that working class people particularly and poor people have been sold out by Labor and the Greens. And I think that the social justice policies hide that. They're pretending to advocate for marginalised people, but who they are actually advocating for are big pharmaceutical companies, big pornography, and the main beneficiaries of that, which are middle-aged, white, middle-class men. While we still have you, uh, Angie, can you tell us a little bit more about Turf Talk Down Under, how it all started and how it's grown over 70 episodes? Oh, my goodness. Um, Well, my friend Stas and I became frustrated that us boring sort of normal women weren't really being represented. Like um, if in the rare occasion that a turf got some media, it was either Kath Deves or Sal Grover, and both of them look like supermodels, right? And they're articulate and well-spoken and they're wonderful, wonderful, wonderful women. But most of us are just too, you just, you know, mums and boring and not articulate and not educated and we feel silenced and invisible particularly invisibles, particularly older women. And we thought, oh, stuff it, you know, let's try and do something. And we couldn't, we, neither of us wanted to do it on our own. And I didn't want to do a podcast, uh, do a YouTube channel on my own. And I have no technical skills at all, which anyone who looks at my channel will realise. And so we just decided to do it together. And we just, just winged it. You know, we thought that we would be going out to, say, 20 or 30 of our turf friends. We did it for our friends so that we could all have something to talk about. It's like, you know, or we could we could put the news out there to each other. We never imagined that influential people would end off watching our channel. Now, it's funny because when Kath Deves, um, you know, ran from the Liberal Party, our YouTube channel clips were all over the mainstream media and me and stars, our heads were on there and nobody ever credited us because if anyone saw Turf Tap Down Under and went over there and watched the videos, then they'd be platforming turfs. And um, the only media outlet who who quotes from us is a gay publication that is pro-trans called Outie in Perth that's over in Perth. And everybody else, including the ABC and most of the mainstream news channels and The Age and whatever, they come over and they milk us from information and never credit us. So, you know, we've been contacted from people all over the world about the issues that we bring up 
on Turf Talk. And, you know, everyday people just seem so glad to be represented by everyday people. And that's why we did it. I am embarrassed by my lack of technical ability. I am embarrassed by, you know, me making an idiot of myself uh, in a public forum. But, you know, I also hope that I've left enough of a footprint that in the future that my kids can look back and say, you know, my, my mum really tried to stick up for us. She tried to stick up for kids like us. She tried to stick up for women and for gay people and for truly marginalised people. I really hope that I have left some sort of footprint for people to recognise that. Well, your show may not be a kind of a slick presentation, but what you do have going for you is authenticity, which I think just comes across straight away as soon as you listen to uh, listen to the show. And I quite like how you do uh, it, it's almost like a daily update of what's in sort of the news of the day uh, in relation to, uh, you know, trans, the, the whole trans issue, which I think is really good. So, Angie, uh, while we've got you, I have to ask about this. While I was stalking you online, I came across a very odd website. What is the Turf Supper? Oh. Have you heard of this? The Turf yes. Supper. Yes. Um- some friends of mine and I, we went to an event at Melbourne University which was talking about ACON's capture of the ABC, basically, um, ACON's capture of, you know, universities as well. Um, and we, afterwards we went to the pub. Um, and while we were, we'd ordered and we were waiting for our dinner, there was probably 15 or so of us, um, uh, while we were waiting for our dinner to be served, uh, three or four masked trans activists burst into the pub and started throwing things at us. We didn't know what they were um, and started taking photos and filming us. And, of course, a couple of we all freaked out going, what the hell is this? And I knew, you know, we knew immediately it was trans rights activists, but they were very intimidating, covered in masks and, you know, sunglasses and stuff. And a few of our women jumped up, older women, and sent them scurrying off, right? They weren't expecting... Um, us to retaliate but when you come and you seemingly throw something at a table full of women they're going to stop you anyway these clowns scurried off and there were some notable people at that um at that function that really you know really didn't want the bad press about being there (coughs) excuse me and um so, you know, it was really awkward. We thought, oh, look, you know, we made fools of them. Um, we sent them off and we won't see it ever again. And, you know, a few months later, this Turf Supper website pops up and these people had taken tiny little pictures of, you know, they've taken a photo of everyone at the table and then they've cut out all the pictures of each individual person and the people that they could identify, they've written a little bio of their sins and, you know, who they are. And I think they called me a prominent Earth, which I was very flattered by, and um, you know, said all these horrible things about what a transphobe I am, and of course, it was I was a seating went, chart wow. as well. Like, it's presumably they were trying to be yeah. true to where you were seated at the table. <laughs> yes, they were. They were trying. But the funny thing is, the lady that was to the right of me, they said that she was Linda Gale, but um, she really isn't Linda Gale, unless Linda Gale is also transracial and can also teleport, because Linda Gale wasn't even there. And then they said the woman on the other side of me was Rachel Wong. And Rachel Wong 
lives in Sydney. And the woman next to me looked nothing like Rachel Wong. So these people got it wrong in so many different levels. So it levels. was racism as well. It was racism. It was, you know, all sorts of stuff. But, um, yeah, but they identified myself and a couple of other women and wrote really horrible things about us. We didn't care. We thought, oh, yeah, that'll go away. Um, then, unfortunately, The Age decided to write an article about the event that mentioned the Turf Supper website. <laughs> Which incited—it's such a stupid <laughs> word. The Turf Supper for, website. For those who don't know, this this website for for me when I first saw it, it, it made me think of the old school stalker in a Hollywood movie that has the pictures all up on the wall in the yes. basement, and you know, just, in the line of fire. Yes, that like, sort just, of deal. You've got all your pictures on the wall. You know, that's that's what it that's what it uh, felt like to me. Yeah, well, the, because the age um, published its name, people looked it up and ins- and it brought all these trans rights activists to my Twitter. And so basically the age incited these trans rights activists to come and abuse the people identified on the website. And I complained about that directly to the journalist on Twitter. And I thought that was really irresponsible of them, knowing that we had been subject to violence from these, these people bursting into the pub like that. And it was only a week after that one of the women um, in our social group in Melbourne was pushed over by a trans rights activist and had her shoulder broken. So, you know, in a a climate of escalating violence against women who they identify as TERFs, the age very irresponsibly brought attention to a website doxing and posting false claims about women. So I was pretty unimpressed. Well, uh... Just a couple of questions uh, left, Angie. I'd like to know, are there any events coming up that we need to know about? Yes. Um, Kelly J. Keane is coming to Melbourne. And I suspect quite a few people will be attending. And I know that some trans rights activists are also attending. But I have been assured by the police that they will be kept quite well away. So I think... The time has come, particularly now that everyday people are being impacted by self-ID and they are being impacted in their workplaces and in their private spaces by these men demanding access to um, our spaces, that it is time for everyday people to come and come to this event and stand up and say, men aren't women. We're not going to tolerate being gaslit anymore and they can come and they can listen to women talk about the impact of this ideology in real time because what kelly that jay dunn does she's very charismatic and she invites women to come and speak and tell their story in three to five minutes and what you find is women just speak off the cup and that you hear their true story. You hear how this ideology has impacted them. Maybe their child is trans. Maybe their husband left them to become a trans woman. Maybe there's a trans person in their workplace. Um, you know, maybe they just identify with, you know, the whole thing of being feeling like they're trapped in the wrong body, but they just, you know, stayed in, in their own body and became, you know, a, a comfortable butch lesbian. You know, so people are telling their stories. These are the stories the media don't want you to hear. And Kelly J has this wonderful way of making women feel at ease enough to tell those stories. Now, this event in Melbourne is on the 18th of March and it's at Parliament at midday. And 
we would like people to come and listen to women. And will this be at the st- on the steps of Parliament or, or in, in, in Parliament itself? It will be on the steps of Parliament, yes. And we are hoping to get an audience with politicians. That's why it's at Parliament, even though it's on a weekend, because we know politicians are like, they're not going to come to you, you've got to go to them. So we have requested an audience with all of the Victorian MPs and we expect that most of them will ignore them. But, you know, I'm a left-wing woman asking for, you know, Labor and Greens politicians to come and listen to me and how impact how self-ID has impacted me personally and professionally because nobody's listening. Like, you know, nobody's listening to women who have been directly impacted. We don't have a voice and this is a chance for us to speak up. Well, I, I, I know a lot of women, uh, including my wife who listens to this uh, uh, program, who are in the closet, so to speak, okay? They pretty much share your views and they're terrified, okay? Do you, you know, uh, it's, this is coming from you, not me. Do you think that it's time for these women to, to, to come out and get it done? Yeah. Look, I've, I've, I've always been out on this issue. I get very little pushback. I'm fortunate that I'm self-employed um, and that, you know, I also have another job and my boss just, you know, she can't comprehend any of this, but she just thinks it's obscene that anyone would think a man was a woman in all circumstances. Um, so, you know, I'm relatively safe. But, you know, I have children, Like, I, you know, and it, when people come and give me crap on Twitter, they don't hang around long because, you know, facts are like kryptonite to these people. So, you know, it's not that difficult to just deflect away, you know, any people that come to attack you because, you know, you, people build it up in their head what it's going to be like when people find out that I'm a, I'm a transphobe or whatever. It's nothing like that most of the time. You know, most people say, you know, I wish I'd come out sooner, you know. And and also, you know, you don't have to come on the event and, you know, wear a T-shirt with your name on it. You know, you can come and you can wear glasses and a hat. And people are going to be too busy screaming at Kelly J and the other notable turfs to notice that you're anonymously coming along to an event with, you know, a couple of hundred other women. They're not going to notice you, you know. So... Um, yeah, just come Unless it's along. the turf supper too. It's the turf banquet. Yeah. They'll get another video, <laughs> more little photos. There they all are. Yeah, I've got a T-shirt that says Team Turf, but I'm not going to wear it because I'll be um, that'll be inflammatory. So, um, oh, well, yeah, I, I but... love those hats that um, I think I've seen Brendan O'Neill from Spiked wear, and I think it's like a MAGA hat, the red hat, and it says "Make." I think it says "Make Women Female Again." I haven't seen those. That sounds great. But, yeah, I think, you know, it's time for people to speak up because, you know, people are being deeply affected by this. You know, it's not an abstract thing. Are you going to go, Ricky? Yes, I think I'll have to go, yeah. I'm putting him on the hook. Yep. On, on air. You've, you've heard it here. I'll, I'll be there. I'll be in attendance. Thank you. Thanks for coming along. It'd be good. It'd be interesting. Like, um, you know, yeah, Kelly J, it's, it's strange. It's sad, actually, that it's taken uh, someone from outside coming in to give women in Melbourne a voice. Mm, I think that's yes. really sad because without her, we wouldn't have one. You know, we do have our little protests and things, but people are so afraid. And, of course, with Kelly J's profile, that somewhat protects us from the trans rights activists because if they attack Kelly J, it's going to be seen. Whereas if we're down at Parliament with our with our you know pickets, then 
and we get attacked, nobody's going to care and they're going to say that we asked for it. So, you know, this is a really good opportunity if you haven't been to a protest before, particularly if you haven't been to a women's event before, because it's not a protest. It's actually a celebration of women. If the, the, um, if the air is quite electric because when you get a group of women in a space where there's not a lot of men or there's no men, it's a really different energy and it's quite um, invigorating. So, you know, I urge women particularly to come down and be a part of that and for men to come down and observe it, you know. It'll be a wonderful experience. I think it'll be fantastic. Well, uh, to, to by, way, by means of, of wrapping up, Angie, how can people find you and your work online? Um, I'm on Twitter, Angie Jones, um, A-N-G-I Jones. Um, yeah, and Turf Talk Down Under is on YouTube. Make sure you do the Down, Down Under because Kelly J. Keane stole our name um, and she's done Turf Talk Tuesday and we're Turf Talk Down Under. But what we found is their algorithms help us. Um, yeah, and if you can, you know, like, subscribe and share, that would be fantastic. And, um, yeah, you know, we... Uh, you know, there's some really amazing women doing some amazing work out there, but you know, we don't really have a platform for them. So, you know, coalition biological reality platforms a lot of the work that women do, um, but it's mostly invisible. You know, we send in uh, work into all the media outlets, and nobody will will share it. Nobody will allow us to write for them. You know, they say, yeah, this is great, but you know, our editor won't allow it. You know, so um, yeah, just look them up. And you know, that my role I think essentially is to platform other people. You know, it's it's strange for me being here, being the subject of an interview, when I see my role as a facilitator of women who have a lesser platform than me to give them a voice. That has always been my role. And that's why that's what motivates me to keep what doing what I'm doing, even when I'm absolutely mortified and embarrassed at how amateur I so. Well, before we let you go, Angie, we have a final question that we ask all our guests, and that is, uh, what are you reading right now? What am I reading? Oh, it's boring. It's a turf book. Well, Can come I? On. I'm reading. Um, I'm reading Sex Matters, and it's about how our biology um, is, you know, impacts on the way we receive medical treatment, and it's really interesting. Um, yeah, but. Awesome. Oh, I can't remember. She's in my lounge room. Um, but, yeah, I'll previous to that, I was reading a book about the thylacine and I would have much rather said, oh, I was reading a book about the thylacine because it sounds like I'm, you know, a, a more interesting person, I guess, and, a, and also a bit of a um, <laughs> conspiracy theorist. But, um, yeah, but... If you're uh, reading, let's put it this way, if you're reading, you are ahead of most people. That's true. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> oh, my yes. I get because I have to because you know to prove my my you know legitimacy as a turf. When someone releases a book, I feel that I have to buy it because people say, "Have well, you got this book?" And I say, "Yeah." And I send myself broke buying books, and I've got this massive like turf pile of books that I'm I'm meant to be reading. But you know, when I have to look at this stuff day in day out, um, when I read, I'd rather some escapism and you know when i was reading about traveling through uh the the mountains in tasmania looking for a thylacine you know that's where i wish that i was so you know i do have a life outside twitter surprise surprise i really do i don't spend all my time uh online being a bigot well, so that's right. Well, we, you need a, more than one person has said in their answer that they read Jack Reacher, uh, you know, or something like that, because 
you know, Ricky and I spend an inordinate amount of time talking about transsexual, sexual do. perversion, you know, peeping toms, the whole schmear. So I, I appreciate a bit of escapism for sure. And I've been reading Cormor and Strike too, so JK gets um, the royalties. So, yeah, the Strike oh, novel is very good, very good escapism too, yeah. Well, Angie, thanks thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure and we'll have to check in with you uh, sometime in the future and see how it's all going. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the New Flesh podcast. If you like our work, please consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or even writing us a review. It really does help the show reach a wider audience. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, long live the New Flesh.